Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back. I'm Josh Hammer. For my Jewish listeners, my fellow Jews, I hope you had a nice conclusion to your high holidays season. So for the non-Jewish listeners, actually, it's worth talking about this just a little bit. So when you think of the high holidays, I think most people tend to think of, and this goes for both Jews and non-Jews, actually, you tend to think of Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year, Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. That's by orders of magnitude, the holiest day on the Jewish calendar. But the high holidays actually goes on a little further. We had recently the festival of Sukkot, the most notable feature of which actually is the physical dwelling and eating in an external household temporary living structure called a sukkah. And actually, just this week, actually, we had the final holiday of the Jewish season, Shemini Atzeret and Simchat Torah. This is kind of a combined holiday of sorts to cap off the holiday season. And Monday evening was Simchat Torah. And I was happy to go to a shul here in South Florida. It's a really just joyous, rejoiceful holiday. It involves lots of singing and dancing around the Torah. You often go out into the street to kind of hoist the Sefer Torah, the Torah scroll to kind of show to the community. No small, uh, there is no shortage of booze at these events, uh, suffice it to say. There's lots of kind of sloshing around. It's really just a joyous time. And I say that as a lead in here, because it is no small irony that this remarkable, joyous season as Barry Weiss noted in one of her Substack posts earlier this week, it is no small irony that this time of rejoicing before Hashem, before God, has happened with this bizarre, truly bizarre, front and center, vile anti-Semitism from one of America's foremost cultural figures. I'm talking here, of course, about Kanye West, who I suppose calls himself just yay these days. I'm not, not entirely sure when that happened, but I guess he calls himself yay. This whole thing just happened so quickly. So it was about two weeks ago. It was between Yom Kippur and the beginning of Sukkot, that Thursday and Friday evening in early October, when Tucker Carlson had Kanye West on his show for back-to-back nights. I watched these interviews, and I couldn't believe what I was seeing. But I was happy because Kanye West, during those Tucker Carlson interviews, he had a photo of an ultrasound. He had an ultrasound image of an unborn child or hanging around his neck. He was talking with sincere conviction about the despicable origins of Margaret Sanger's Planned Parenthood in America. How the goal since day one was to disproportionately put Planned Parenthood clinics in black neighborhoods as kind of this awful racist eugenicist idea to ideally ultimately exterminate the black race. I think that's the way that Kanye phrasing. He's not wrong about that. This was, this was high energy stuff that Tucker was talking about with Kanye. And then that weekend, I was out in Ohio that weekend. I was in Steubenville, Ohio to speak at my friend Sorab Amari's Restoring a Nation conference. Sorab's a previous guest on the show. 
And then that Saturday evening after Shabbat ended, after midnight, at least on the East Coast, this outrageous tweet from Kanye calling for, quote, Death Con 3 on Jewish people. Now, you have to assume that he meant Death Con 3. But anytime that you are putting death in the same sentence as all caps Jewish people, you probably should think a little harder about hitting the tweet button. He also had some other garbage in that tweet talking about how he can't be anti-Semitic because blacks are the real Jews. This is old school Louis Farrakhan style black Hebrew Israelites stuff. It is intellectual, doctrinal, theological, historical garbage. Garbage. Every so often it rears its ugly head. We saw it from Nick Cannon during the summer of COVID in 2020. We saw it from Tamika Mallory, one of the organizers, along with Linda Sarsour of the first Women's March in 2017, a little Farrakhanista herself. Deshaun Jackson, the prolific former wide receiver and punt returner for the Philadelphia Eagles. We see this every so often. And Kanye's tweet was either deleted or it was taken down. He was kind of frozen from his Twitter and his Instagram, if I recall. And then he had a tweet kind of about the protests going on in Iran right now, which was a reasonable tweet. I think some of us thought, okay, maybe he's actually now sobering up a little bit. He may, maybe he realizes that he made a mistake. Well, lest you think that, <laughs> that Kanye West, yay, was apologetic and perhaps even remorseful about his out-of-nowhere anti-Semitic outburst. He has now doubled and tripled down since then in a series of media events. Again, this is just a bizarre story. In a series of events since that deleted tweet, Ye has made very, very clear where he stands on the question of the Jews. And he has done so, of course, during our most festive and joyous season of the entire year. Let's take a listen to what he had to say on the Drink Champs podcast, a podcast that I have never heard of, apparently hosted by a rapper I've never heard of by the name of Noriega. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Let's, let's, take, a look to, uh, let's take a listen to what Kanye had to say on the Drink Champs podcast. Jewish people have owned the black voice, mm. whether it's through us wearing a Ralph Lauren shirt or it's all of us being signed to a record label or having a Jewish manager or being signed to a Jewish basketball team or doing a movie on a Jewish platform like Disney. I mean, I don't even know where to begin. These, these are the most crass, vile, imaginable Awful, awful, awful canards and bogus stereotypes about Jews. This was literally the basis for the infamous, fictitious anti-Semitic book from the early 1900s, before World War II. It was popular in Tsarist Russia, known as The Protocols of the Elders of Zion, an infamous anti-Semitic conspiratorial book fabricated out of whole cloth about how the Jews control this, the Jews control that, the Jews do this, the Jews have the money, the Jews have the influence, they control finance, the media, journalism, law, legal, whatever. To hear Kanye West talk about this, where, by the way, the podcast host just says, uh-huh, mm-hmm. No pushback, obviously. Mm. Mm. 
the hell? What the actual hell? He goes on, though. Let's continue a little more. I respect what the Jew, Jewish people have done and how they brought their people together. Mm-hmm. You know, they came into money uh, through the lawyers mm-hmm. when uh, after Wall Street, when um, when all of the um, like the Catholics, they wouldn't they wouldn't divorce people. Right. So the right. Jewish lawyers came and they were willing to divorce people. That's when they first came into their money. So, <laughs> I mean, how many anti-Semitic stereotypes can you fit in like one unhinged tirade here? So they came into their money. I mean, first of all, when you're talking about like a group like this, you know, probably time to hit a pause button to begin with. But they came into their money, according to Kanye West, by issuing divorce licenses. So he's talking here about kind of Jewish licentiousness, like sexual perversion, like an abiding need to kind of issue divorce papers. And that's how, quote unquote, they got their money and they became famous. Look, if this were coming from anyone else, if this were coming from anyone else, everyone would be up in arms. Everyone. So why have so many people, and not everyone, but why have so many people been so quiet, from what I can tell, about Kanye West? Now, part of that is attributable to the very simple and obvious fact that he's really, really damn good, at least according to a lot of people. I'm not a particularly big rap music fan, but he is apparently really, really, really damn good at what he does for a living, which is rapping. But we're dealing here with someone who is very, very clearly into the deep, deep bowels of anti-Semitic conspiratorial content. The whole thing is just so bizarre, honestly. Kanye kind of came onto the scene politically during the Trump era. We saw those images of him with the Make America Great Again hat in the White House. Kanye and his ex-wife, Kim Kardashian, it is highly reported, were disproportionately responsible for the Trump administration passing the First Step Act, which was an awful piece of legislation. It was actually a, a mass jailbreak bill. I was one of the relatively few conservatives in the commentary at Punditry Class who vociferously opposed this bill. And then he had this great interview on Tucker with the pro-life stuff. And now this. I mean, just what the hell? What the actual hell? But apparently this is actually this is actually nothing new for Kanye West. This is this is the interesting part. In fact, Kanye West in 2013 apparently had some comment that he got some pushback for rightfully, where he said that Jews are more well connected than black people. And he kind of went on about this. It was a bit of a rant itself. This is as far back as nine years ago, well before he ever donned the MAGA hat in the Trump White House. You know who defended him at the time? Louis effing Farrakhan publicly defended Kanye West. A prescient, harrowing preview of things to come nine years later. Let's take a listen to Louis Farrakhan in 2013, the Jew hater that he is. Now the ADL has jumped on Kanye West. Because he said black people don't have the same level of connections as Jewish people. Black people don't have the same connection as oil people, quote. Did he lie? No. He told the truth. All right, get it off. Get it off. That is who we're dealing with here. We are dealing here with Kanye West and someone who clearly has some sort of history 
with Louis Farrakhan going back nine years. Now, I don't know the details. I don't know the details. This is Louis Farrakhan who has openly praised Hitler, who has spoken of Judaism as the, quote, synagogue of Satan, who is arguably the number one most prolific Jew hater in America today. He probably is. I mean, I guess you could argue David Duke. It's probably Louis Farrakhan. But in 2013, that same year, Kanye actually went on stage during a performance and told his audience that Farrakhan told him not to apologize for these comments. Let's, let's listen to that. And uh, when I talked to Farrakhan the other night, he told me don't apologize. I ain't gonna apologize about nothing. You hear that? I talked to Farrakhan the other night. So actually, if you scratch below the surface a little bit, maybe this anti-Semitic outburst was not solely attributable to a man who was clearly mentally ill. Maybe it actually is coming from a deeper, darker place. We're going to explore that a little more on the other side, but let's take it to a quick break. You listen to The Josh Hammer Show. Stay with us. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Now, lest you think that Kanye merely doubled down on the Drink Champs podcast with that guest just saying, uh-huh, mm-hmm, carry on, son, mm-hmm. No, he actually tripled down, tripled down earlier this week on Fredo Cuomo's, uh, sorry, Chris Cuomo's show. Let's listen to that. I, I, I understand you think that, but I don't think that's a common understanding that uh, black that people can say whatever they want about Jewish people. Well, I'm willing, so I'm willing to talk with inside the common understanding until we get the truth. The common understanding oftentimes, more oftentimes than that, nowadays, is not the truth. All right. So th- think about this. But let's just take a woman could have one bad man in her life that can make her dislike men. Mm-hmm. Let her have two. Let her have three. Let her have four. There's got to be over 10 times that I've been screwed or bad business has been done to me just in the past two years. In the past two years alone. And what I'm doing, I'm calling uh, the Jewish community as a whole to say, people say to me, oh, we grew up on Yay. And Talk to your brothers. Ask them, why is Jay upset? Everybody, all they want to do is silence and shoot the messenger. You have to understand how... Wait a second, you have to understand I'm not finished, sir. Huh? Um, all right, but you already made a point that I need to deal with, but go ahead. All right, Let me know uh, when you... Okay. That's, that's enough. That is more than enough. Now, apparently, some of this has to do with the perceived cancellation of Ye's friend, Diddy Combs. Again, I don't follow this crap closely, okay? 
I, I listen to freaking country music for God's sake. I, I, I couldn't give a rat's ass about the rap music industry if I'm being totally candid with y'all. I really couldn't. But wherever this is coming from, again, what we just listened to with Farrakhan from nine years ago, there was a track record of this. And I don't know exactly what the connection is. I did see a photo of Kanye posing with Farrakhan from six or seven years ago, however long ago it was, them both smiling. Another disturbing aspect of this is after that first tweet calling for, quote, DEFCON 3 on Jewish people came out, it turned out that, and, and again, I can't, for those of you who don't follow the media cycle as closely as I do and those of us who work in this space do, I cannot properly describe to you the whiplash that this was. The DEFCON tweet was literally less than 36 hours after the second part of Kanye's two-part interview series with Tucker aired on Fox, which was an excellent interview. I, I, I think I read that there was some editing out of some other bad comments, I, which is awful. I have not looked too deeply into that. But it turned out that one of the leading defenders of this tweet was Candace Owens. Candace Owens. Daily Wire podcast host, formerly involved with our friend Charlie Kirk at Turning Point, now fully at the Daily Wire. Candace Owens took it upon herself to say that, quote, if you are an honest person, you did not think this was anti-Semitic, this being the death con three on all caps Jewish people, where he said that blacks are the real Jews. Again, this is Farrakhan, Nation of Islam, black Hebrew Israelites, garbage. Garbage. Well, I was very critical of Candace Owens for this. She ended up blocking me on Twitter, as the case may be. I haven't seen enough people on our side criticize Candace for this. Why is she defending Kanye West? Why? Well, as the case may be, we got a snippet into that, actually, earlier this week as well. Turns out that in the latest plot twist of this bizarre and largely sordid affair, Kanye is purchasing Parler Parler, which is a social media app website that has been relevant in at least two years. Now we have Getter and Truth Social and all this other stuff. No one cares about Parler, but apparently Kanye is purchasing it. And oh, by the way, Candace Owens's husband is apparently going to be the new CEO of Parler. So between the deleted tweet and the doubling and tripling down was Candace's documentary premiere of The Daily Wire where Kanye and Ray J actually were both there on the red carpet. They had this photo with the Daily Wire and Sydney on the backdrop. Candace has not apologized at all, to my knowledge, for her dear friend Kanye West apparently being a vile anti-Semite. Where, for that matter, is my former colleague Ben Shapiro? Where is Ben Shapiro? Where is the country, if not the world's most prominent, public-facing, highly visible Orthodox Jew? calling out one of his highest profile employees, condoning what he himself, what Shapiro himself admitted was blatantly anti-Semitic, that being Kanye's initial tweet. If Ben has said anything about Candace Owens defending Kanye's Louis Farrakhan-inspired outbursts, I have not seen it. 
Let's take it to a quick commercial break. You're listening to The Josh Hammer Show. Stay with us. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. So when it comes to Candace Owens, this parlor timing raises some very clear questions. The most obvious question is, was Candace Owens defending her good friend, Kanye West, because her husband was was about to get a big payday? Was about to get a big payday from parlor? Is that what's going on here? Furthermore, what will... Candace Owens object to from her good friend Kanye West talking. Now, the timing here, again, during the Chagim, during the high holiday season, is deeply ironic and frankly just awful because religious Jews fully go dark during the Chagim. Ben Shapiro, of course, is not online as a religious Jew himself during the Chagim. But these most recent doubling and tripling down from Kanye on the Drink Champs podcast and Fredo Cuomo's show, wherever the hell Fredo Cuomo is hosting these days. This just happened within the past few days. Will Candace Owens defend those comments? Really? Now, obviously, no one has to speak for their friend. Okay, but an honest person, to use Candace's language about the DEFCON 3 tweet, an honest person should call out despicable Nation of Islam conspiratorial protocols of the elders of Zion-inspired anti-Semitism when they see it. And again, I am just still waiting to see what no less Orthodox Jew than Ben Shapiro possibly does and says about this. It also raises... Some questions. If someone of Kanye's stature can fall under the influence, no matter how direct or indirect it may be, of Louis Farrakhan, it raises some painful questions about the prevalence or ubiquity of Farrakhan's Nation of Islam and its related evil cousin, the Black Hebrew Israelites cult. It raises some clear questions about the prevalence or ubiquity of this thought. In the American black community. Again, as I mentioned earlier, this is not an isolated incident. There have been many high-profile examples of this point. Let's listen just a little more to who the nation's number one, most unapologetic, disgusting, reprehensible anti-Semite Louis Farrakhan is. Let's listen just a tad, tad more. Kanye West, don't bow to the pressure to apologize to anybody. You said nothing wrong. Who are you, Farrakhan, to tell him that he said nothing wrong? 
I am directly from the Christ and the Messiah. So what I tell you has more weight than anything. I'm sorry, what was that last part? I am the Messiah? Is that what we just heard? I mean, this is some effed up crap. And I, I, I am just apoplectic about this, as you, as, as you can tell. It's really, really bad. It's profoundly dangerous when someone with Kanye West platform in particular starts spewing this stuff. He's clearly not mentally right in the head. And we should pray for him. We should. Religious Jews, religious Christians, we should all be praying for him. Really, I mean that. And I hope that Kanye gets the help he needs. I hope that people like Candace Owens stop defending the indefensible. And I just really, really hope that we can kind of put this whole sordid affair behind us sooner rather than later. But it's something that I just had to get off my chest, especially coming out of the Chagim season, especially coming out of the joyous, remarkable, festive occasion of Simcha Torah on Monday night. Man, bad stuff. But let's go ahead and talk now about something that's a little more politically pressing, which is we are rapidly, rapidly at this point approaching the midterm elections. They are coming up at this point in less than three weeks. November 8th is election day. It's starting to look really, really good for Republicans. Now, the trajectory of this is very interesting itself. So at some point over the summer, maybe around kind of June, July, I wrote a column saying resign Joe, just about how catastrophically bad Joe Biden was at this. At that point, we were looking at some polling, I believe was from Quinnipiac, some polling showing his approval rating in the early 30s. The guy was just clearly teetering on his near political deathbed at that point. And then at some point, maybe in August was the lead season of this, we start to see some anecdotal data trickling in that suggested that the red wave that many of us have been talking on and on about might not actually materialize. The Democrats seem to have some good showings in some special elections in states like Nebraska, Minnesota, New York State. Some of this was attributable to the fact that there did seem to be a, a Dobbs abortion backlash a little bit a little bit firmer, at least for a month or so or, or two there than some of us had anticipated. A pro-life measure in Kansas of all states was unfortunately was tragically soundly defeated there in late July, early August. But by now that appears to be old news. Because for the past two to three weeks now, the tide has strongly shifted back towards Republicans. Everywhere you look on the generic ballot, New York Times, Siena College poll out this week, generic ballot, Republicans up by about four. Independent women, if you kind of look into the cross tabs, have apparently swung. This is, this is amazing. And again, small sample size here, high margin of error. So for the statistical polling junkies, you know what that means. You know you should take it with a big grain of salt. But with that caveat aside, Independent women have apparently swung 18 months over the over the just the past month towards the GOP. Herschel Walker last Friday, I didn't watch the debate, but based on everything I read about it, it seems like he did extremely well. He prepared his butt off for that debate against Raphael Warnock. 
J.D. Vance is, by all accounts, demolishing Tim Ryan in these debates in the state of Ohio. In Nevada, a state that has been fool's gold for Republicans in the past, it doesn't seem like it was that long ago that Sharon Engel back in 2010 was polling ahead of Harry Reid up until Election Day. But with the, that fool's gold polling caveat aside, the polls out of Nevada are really good right now. Adam Laxalt is a terrific Senate candidate. Looks like he's in good shape there. Hispanics out in Nevada, if anything, it looks like are breaking towards Republicans even more than Democrats, which is just a remarkable development. Remarkable, remarkable development. So as of right now, it's looking really good. There was a Politico headline this week. The Politico headline says, Democrats' midterm hopes fade. Quote, we peaked a little early. And it makes sense because the abortion issue was always going to have a very limited shelf life. There are really not that many single-issue pro-abortion voters out there. Even on the abortion issue, if you go back decades, there are actually way more single-issue pro-life voters than single-issue pro-abortion voters, which makes sense because if you accept the pro-life argument that this is the snuffing out of a beautiful, precious, innocent, unborn child, then of course that issue is going to dramatically rise as far as its gravitas and moral heft. There aren't like that many people that wake up in the morning and say like, oh my God, I need to run to the polls to make sure that I can vote for the quote-unquote right to murder my child in utero. No, that's just not as common a sentiment as the other way around. So that issue is always going to have a more limited shelf life. So apparently now 44% of Americans are citing some sort of economic concern as the number one issue, whether it's a stock market, whether it's inflation, this is, again, according to this New York Times Siena poll. And among those voters who view economic issues as, and the economy in general as their number one source of concern, they are heavily breaking to Republicans by a margin of over two to one, over two to one. So at this point, I think you have to assume, and again, a lot could change. We're still almost three weeks away from election day. There's always those late October surprises. A lot could change. But on its current trajectory, I think you have to assume that Republicans win virtually all of these coin flip races. So we have to assume that Ron Johnson for the Senate is safe in Wisconsin. We have to assume that J.D. Vance is safe in Ohio. We have to assume that Ted Budd is going to win his seat in North Carolina. What that's going to mean then, if it continues, if it continues, would be Republican pickups in Georgia, Nevada, and Arizona, at least potentially, 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 and this is where it gets fun, even a little more than that. Let's pick this up on the other side. I also want to give you guys an update on the status of the boycott of Yale Law School, which I talked about on, the, on this show before. You listen to The Josh Hammer Show. Stay with us. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
Now, again, the polling does not always yet reflect this. So if you take the polling seriously, seriously, but not literally, as the case may be, is you should take the polling. It appears that folks like J.D. Vance in Ohio, maybe to a lesser extent, Ron Johnson in Wisconsin, are still in effectively toss-up races. But as Henry Olson of the Ethics and Public Policy Center wrote in a recent Washington Post column, it makes much more sense to not necessarily follow the horse race polling to that degree, especially when the polls have been as off as they've been the past few cycles. If you listen to our episode with... Robert, uh, if, you, if, you, if, you listen to, if you listen to our episode with Robert Cahaley of the Trafalgar Group, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. But what Henry Olson was saying in, in this column is it makes more sense to follow the money. And if you look at where the NRSC and its Democratic equivalent are kind of throwing down money in these Senate races, you get a much better sense of the map. So, for example, the Democrats monetarily have totally given up on Tim Ryan in Ohio. They assume J.D. Vance is going to win. By contrast... Mitch McConnell and Rick Scott and the NRSC are throwing down some money in New Hampshire. In New Hampshire, trying to take out Maggie Hassan. That just gives you a sense because New Hampshire would be likely the 54th or 55th seat if Republicans retake the majority. If it's a wave of that magnitude, the other seat there to look at would be Joe O'Day, who's an extremely moderate, squishy Republican. He'd still be a lot better than his Democratic colleague, of course, who's running in Colorado. And there's lots of other anecdotal polling that suggests that Republicans are doing extremely well as well. So out of New York State, out of my home state, out of my home state, which has become as blue as they come, this is incredible. A Quinnipiac poll this week has incumbent Governor Kathy Hochul up four points statewide on her Republican challenger, Congressman Lee Zeldin, who was giving up on his congressional seat to seek the, the governor's mansion in, in Albany. That is incredible. New York State had a Republican governor when I was growing up, a, a moderate named George Pataki. They haven't had a whole lot of Republicans since then. But according to this Quinnipiac poll, and it's worth emphasizing that Quinnipiac as a pollster actually leans Democratic, if anything. If anything. Independents in New York State, according to this Quinnipiac poll, are breaking 20 points for Zeldin over the incumbent Hochul by a 57 to 37 margin. You want to know why? Because the most important issue, and this is totally rational, this is, the way, this is the most, this, what the most important issue should be in New York State, the most important issue is crime. And if there's one issue that the Democrats have dropped the freaking ball on, and have let the Wokarates go nuts on, and quite literally let the inmates run the asylum on, it is the crime issue. So-called criminal justice reform, so-called bail reform. Horrible. Horrible. It was a mass shooting on the subway in New York City back in April, I think it was. Awful stuff. People being beat up on the streets of Midtown, carjackings galore. So my point is when New York State... It's looking like it's going to be that close. Then you know that it's going to be a good cycle for Republicans. Part of the reason that I'm cautiously optimistic as well about the Senate campaigns of Herschel Walker down in Georgia and Blake Masters out in Arizona. It looks like the governors in those or the gubernatorial candidates. I should say in those two races 
are going to break strongly for Republicans. So Brian Kemp is just totally running away with this thing. He's the incumbent governor in Georgia. Spanked David Perdue in the primary back in May. That was Trump endorsed David Perdue. Query what that means exactly for Trump's endorsement power in Georgia. Brian Kemp is running away with this thing over election denier Stacey Abrams, who has barely conceded the fact that she lost the 2018 governor's race. Similarly, out in Arizona, Carrie Lake, who has become very quickly, Carrie Lake is becoming a political superstar. She's extremely deft. She's quick on her feet. She's well-spoken. She is cruising to victory to replace the term-limited Doug Ducey in the governor's mansion out in Arizona. So part of this is you have to assume that even though Herschel in Georgia is facing a well-funded incumbent in Pastor Raphael Warnock, who has about as much baggage as it comes, but despite the fact that Herschel is facing a well-funded incumbent there, despite Herschel's own baggage, of course, and despite the fact that Blake Masters in Arizona is facing an extremely well-funded incumbent in Mr. Astronaut himself, Senator Mark Kelly, Part of this is you have to assume that if Brian Kemp in Georgia and Carrie Lake in Arizona win by as wide of margins as they are currently looking like they are going to win, and especially given just how rapidly shifting the polls are of the independent women, the suburban women, the, the prevalence of the crime issue, the inflation issue, immigration, of course, in Arizona, to the exclusion of that flash in the pan of the abortion issue after Dobbs becoming like the number one issue, you have to, I think, assume at this point that Herschel Walker and Blake Masters are both in very good shape. So again, I feel fairly good predicting a Republican recapturing of the Senate. I think the most likely number at this point is going to be around 52 to 53 seats. I do not think a genuine wave along the lines of 54 to potentially even 55 seats is totally, totally out of the realm of possibility. At that point, that would involve New Hampshire, it would involve Colorado. It could potentially, if you think back to our recording with Robert Cahaley, it could potentially involve no less a blue Democratic bastion than the Pacific Northwest state of Washington, where Tiffany Smiley is an intriguing and fairly well-polling candidate. But we'll see. Again, it looks like at a bare minimum, something along the lines of 51 seats is going to happen. My money is around 52 to 53 seats. One more thing that I want to talk to you all about today. So we touched on last show, and I wrote my column on this this past week. Canceling the cancelers at Yale Law School was the name of my column. We talked about this boycott of future law clerks from Yale Law School that my own former boss, Judge James C. Ho of the U.S. Court Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, got going in a speech that he gave in late September at the Kentucky Statewide Federal Society Conference. What we first heard after that was 12 judges went off record to tell Aaron Sibirium at the Washington Free Beacon that they would privately vow to join Judge Ho in this boycott of hiring future law clerks to their chambers from the nation's number one ranked law school, Yale. Then fairly shortly after that, 
A courageous conservative and an excellent conservative judge, Lisa Branch of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the 11th Circuit, went on the record to Nate Hockman at National Review to tell America that she would do the same thing. So Lisa Branch was the first judge to join Jim Ho in going on the record as refusing to hire future law clerks from Yale. And then, then there was some kind of intra-Fifth Circuit drama. Judge Ho's colleague, Jerry Smith, who's a Reagan nominee, called Judge Ho's boycott, quote, regrettable. Their other colleague, uh, a, a, a deeply, deeply principled and frankly just outright awesome Reagan nominee by the name of Edith Jones, had some complimentary wording for Judge Ho's boycott. So you're actually even seeing kind of the older Reagan nominees split on this one. Here is my conclusion on this. Those 12 judges who went off record to Aaron Sibarium, they should go on the record now. Because if you want this to have any effect here, and to kind of just recapitulate the basic arguments here, the basic arguments is that cancel culture and the quashing of dissident wrong think, the stamping out of conservative, traditionalist, religious thinkers, speakers, writers, and so forth from the legal profession in general, from the law school campus to the law firms, to, the, to legal academia, to clerkships and so forth. If you think this is a big problem, look at what's happening at Yale. Yale has been the arguably worst offender of this. They have shouted down speakers left and right. And Yale, as the number one ranked law school, tends to set an example for this sort of thing. What happens at Yale does tend to trickle down to other legal institutions. And, you know, if there's one thing, if there's one thing that could cause these insufferable wokesters and the DEI bureaucrats, the diversity crats, to rethink the garbage that they are spewing and the mollycoddling of the pampered leftist students. If there's one thing, it is pressure along the lines of what Judge Ho has proposed here. It is pressure to not hire clerks. It is a blunt instrument as a tactic. It is the only thing that could potentially be effective in changing course. So those judges who went off the record to my friend Aaron Sabirium at the Washington Free Beacon, go on the record. Go on the record. Raise your hand, shout loud and proud. I will not hire future law clerks from Yale Law School unless and until they stop stamping out conservative speakers. And please do so post haste. This is an ongoing story. We're going to check back on it in future episodes. But for now, thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Josh Hammer, and we'll see you next time.